This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. So, Chris, I am here to tell everybody about the weekly wine special going on at your local Zupan's. This comes from Chateau La Nacht. That's a, in France. That's a 2019 Les Cassagnes. Uh, you're going to save $5 on this. A dark, intensely colored wine comes across as airy and lacy in texture. Um, ample concentration. So pick that up at your local Zupans through the 20th, uh, straight from France. You can also pair that perfectly with a tomahawk pork chop on sale this weekend only. 20% off the Korobuda pork sale at your local Zupans. Also, while you're there, find out more about a couple of events taking place, including an event happening at the Lake Oswego Breezeway, October 6th, with Chosen Family Wines. It's a four-course dinner paired with uh, Channing Fry and Jacob Gray from Chosen Family Wines. Buy tickets on Zupans.com or get more information at your local Zupans. They also have those great floral design and wine events. Uh, this one is actually going to be virtual October 23rd. Uh, that makes it easy. You just stay at home and learn all about it. Uh, help you get into that Halloween spirit. Sign up for that as well online at Zupans.com. And you'll find Zupans Markets on West Burnside, Macadam, and Lake Grove. And of course, Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again, Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It is right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelis from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm Court Johnson. Hello, Court, from, you know, I guess this is happening while I'm in either Italy or Spain. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm actually in Manzanita, so you figure it out. Sure. Where you currently are is not where you actually are when people are hearing this. Right. But here's here's something I can guarantee, Chris, is I don't know if you saw this on Instagram the other day. Uh, My family and I, uh, you know, we've got a little dog, Charlie, who's a great little dog. But we started thinking to ourselves, you know, Charlie needs a friend. Oh. And so we we got we got him a friend uh, where we follow a couple of rescue groups out here um, on the southwest part of town and ended up with a puppy chihuahua mix that is truly a puppy and this is our first puppy and it is like we don't know what we got ourselves into so we oh you know now yeah oh yeah (laughs) you you've been through this a couple of times yeah but it's like it's like being a parent all over again when they're this young right but it's a it's a little bit easier than being a parent but yes you will get you will be woken up at three in the morning and just love them I'm well. I'm still waiting for that because he, the, uh, Leo, who's our new little guy, um, sleeps through the night. This is the third night in a row. Sleeps completely through the night. All so right. I don't want to. I should find some wood to knock on, but uh, so far so good. Oh, that's great. Well, you yeah. know, it's not popular to say nowadays, but I love puppies, and I love having a, a starting with a puppy and then seeing that puppy in my dog throughout their lifespan. And uh, yeah. I have that ability with Kodak. You know, I just I just love that guy to no end. So good for you. Um, so was it, so your other dog, and um, help me. Charlie. Charlie, right, 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 sorry. Um, so did you feel like Charlie needed a, uh, a companion? See, I kind of like being the alpha. And as soon yeah. as you get another dog, one of those dogs becomes the alpha. 
Well, I think Charlie's definitely going to be definitely be the alpha. And well, we'll see how it goes. Leo's still pretty young, but Charlie's going to be the bigger dog. I mean, this dog is the runt of the litter. Definitely smaller than we anticipated. He doesn't know it. Yeah, that's true. But uh, um, I'm I'm guessing Charlie. And we'll we'll see. We'll see where this goes. But. Uh, um, yeah, Charlie just, he, he's an active dog. And when we take him to like Randy's parents place, there's other dogs there and we could kind of just tell he loved having other dogs to play with. And here at the house, it's just us and the girls and they're busy being teenagers. And so we thought, all right, let's, let's get him a playmate, somebody that he can play with. And, and, uh, so that's, that's the path we've gone down. Uh, it's a nice path. I had some friends visiting, uh, this summer, who brought their wonderful dog down, and Kodak just had a blast. And I started thinking about, man, he has a good time. But you know what? He has a good time without another right. dog. Yeah, he loves that ball on the beach. And as soon as we get down there, he's happy. He's happy anywhere, but he's yeah. extremely happy there. So we we should get the three dogs together some sure. sometime and have a, a three dog day or night. There we go. Either way, depending on when you want to do it. Sure, um, but that would be that would be fun. See, see how the what's the new one's name? Leo. Leo. See how Leo yep. likes the beach. That would be. It's always fun to watch oh, how man, they I, react to this, that. This this guy. In fact, I'm going to show you the the listener can't see this. I, I've got him here in my lap. Oh, oh. He, is, he is tiny. Oh, he's so cute. That is going to yeah. be fun. And yeah. he's just like he's aware. You can see yeah. he looked into the. He's aware. I love dogs like that that are that are kind of looking at you. And he almost looked into the uh, your camera. Into the camera gave you a little wink. Yeah, that was pretty cute. Oh, cute. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, we. I mean, we. You know, he he's the he's the epitome of a cute little puppy. Are you trying to tell is. people that Leo's going to be our podcast guest this week? Eh, it's not what I'm. No, <laughs> no, he will not be. It's it's well talk about talk about pulling uh, you know dragging answers um, yeah but no that could be uh, that's great I didn't know that you know I'm finding out all these people I'm close with are doing things and not telling me like I see them on Instagram I saw someone I'm right. very close to at Crater Lake yesterday I talked to her this weekend and I had talked to her late last week and she didn't tell me she was going to Crater Lake what's that all about so. It's it's the new way. I mean, I've I've got such a uh, large. I come from a large family. I'm finding out that I've got new nephews and actually great nephews in this case that are being born. I find out about them on Facebook. I don't even get a phone call or a text. Wow. So, it, hmm. I'm not complaining, but it's the new world. No, it is. It's it's interesting. All the nuances. Uh, I won't go into all the nuances, but I had a little situation that became very awkward because a friend of mine decided just to communicate with me and one other person let's go to a larger group of 15 people or whatever and start texting me and the other person so that the other 13 people realized they were left out of this thing we were doing and uh Mm. you know just i try not to be a cranky person but i feel like i'm sure. always in position to be that person i don't know yeah. i guess if you choose to chris yeah if you choose i saw a very good edict the other day it's a good idea to wake up every every here's a here's some things to try try not complaining for 24 hours and i thought holy shit that i should try that that would be yeah. interesting and then of course and i, I reference it uh in last week's podcast um 
start every day with an appreciation of what you what you have for the day what's in your life that's great and there were some other things but i liked the not complaining i'm going to try it not only for a day but i think i should try it for a whole month the whole time i'm in europe and uh, see if i can get away with not complaining about anything i think it's impossible yeah yeah it's uh, that's an interesting because it's so easy anymore to to complain, whether it's just to well, obviously to yourself, but to other people on social media. So you know, give it a try. Well, my girlfriend points out, or she at least agrees with me. I don't know if she points it out, but I say, you know, a lot of my complaints are meant to be sort of humorous. They're kind of Seinfeldian sure. complaints or Larry right. Davidish complaints, for instance. Uh, you know, who else is down in Manzanita on the beach and complaining about how many people there are? But I'm in heaven now because finally we're post uh, tourist season and I went down on the beach. Beautiful days the last couple of days and nobody's there, which is the way nice. I like it. And then right. over, you know, over Labor Day weekend. Now Manzanita is starting to look like Cannon Beach used to look. This is post-pandemic or pr- during pandemic. It's crazy with all the and here's another <laughs> another thing. All the sprinter vans just parked on the side of the road taking up three spaces for every you know, three car spaces for their sprinter and then so you have four sprinters down there instead of being able to park. Right. Um, you know, there's there are those are the little things I complain about, but they're not big deals because I can find a place to park and uh, still get to the beach. All right. How many listeners have we lost? I don't know. Let's do. We got to do a big cleansing breath here. Now that we've got that out of the way. <laughs> All right. We have a, a best of episode. You know, we have lots of episodes in our archives. Go back and listen to those. And of course, what should people do before we even mention this court? We would, you know, uh, maybe uh, follow us, subscribe to us on whatever medium you're you're listening to your podcasts. Uh, give us a review; it's always uh, helpful. And share, yeah, if you like what you're hearing. And it really is helpful because, especially nowadays, there are a lot of podcasts out there, and we could use the algorithms working in our favor um, sure. to maintain our listenership, just so we can keep this thing going. It's it's incredible. We're still going this many years later. So. Do that, and we have, um, we're pulling one of our favorite people, Emily Everett from, uh, Quintrell fame and, uh, also Abbey Road Farm fame. She runs those, uh, she's general manager for those wonderful businesses. Uh, people can go back and listen to our interview with Riley Eckersley, chef at Quintrell also. Um, and uh, we did this interview with her in 2020, I believe, Court. Yeah, it was early March of 2020 before the world changed. And uh, um, I like was, to go yeah, back was, to that was, time before we're even talking yeah. about the pandemic. Yeah, it, it was one of the last interviews we did in person in, in a studio. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Will we ever do that again? I maybe. I, I you know, I we'll, we'll need to find a studio. I mean, you're all welcome to come over and hang out at my house. <laughs> okay. Well, that's going to be hard. So, no, we need to get one more sponsor that sponsors the studio itself. There we go. That what we need. But I, I've gotten kind of used to this, and I've gotten the technical thing. We've gotten, I think, the technical thing sort of worked out. But right. Um, 
But at any rate, I enjoy it. And it's nice to go back to listen to Emily. And uh, she's a really um, great person with a lot of responsibility there. And they're doing really well. Um, this was right after Quaintrell moved their location from Mississippi to Clinton Street. Yes, Clinton Street. And uh, right after Abbey Road Farm, which is where you can now find Will Price um, doing some cooking and collaborations. And it's a beautiful spot out in wine country, too. So um, nice one to revisit, Court. Hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. And by Portland Food Adventures. Featuring the best chef-centric experiences in Portland since 2010. Go to PortlandFoodAdventures.com to see about the exciting trips our host Chris Angelus leads to places you have dreamed of going, like Western Sicily this September. It's time to stretch your international wings and expand your culinary horizons. Let Portland Food Adventures do all the planning to the best dining and culture all over Europe and elsewhere with Portlanders you'll get to know and enjoy. PortlandFoodAdventures.com Thanks so much for uh, bearing with us. Absolutely. I'm glad you were, every, you and Kelsey were both immediately available this Monday. And so not having to be somewhere after the Super Bowl, I wasn't upset about that. Pardon me? Not having to be somewhere. The Are you a football fan? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan of celebrating things. Yeah, that's what I was, <laughs> I was just about to go there. It, it seems to me that you're a big fan of celebrating things. A little bit. So if I look at my phone, it's because that's where my notes are. Okay. I should have them on paper, but I've learned, you know what? It's so easy to have them all here. So I just have basically what you um, had sent me, and I went over it this yep. morning. So celebration no longer, at one point in your life, really included beer, and it no longer does. Exactly, yeah. So I'd, you had written that you that about that. Mm-hmm. Why why can't you drink beer any longer? It just doesn't agree with me as much. Like I just get like uncomfortably full when I drink beer anymore. So it's not as enjoyable for me like to just sit and drink some beers with some friends unless it's like really bad beer which I'd rather not be drinking. So Yeah, but that's also a matter of quantity too. Do you get full on one beer or do you have to do the whole the whole six pack? No, I mean even if I drink one beer. One beer does. Yeah, it. like it just makes me feel bloated and disgusting so i'd rather drink wine or 
other libations. Yeah, and so. you've, be, you've become, you've made wine a lot of your livelihood now, so you get the opportunity to do that quite often. Absolutely. it's And I love it. It's an opportunity that I never thought I'd have, so um, just sort of stumbling into this has been a very educational and enjoyable as well. So, I mean, I'm, I love to drink wine. So getting the opportunity to learn more about how it's made and the entire process has been really fulfilling. A lot of people um, don't necessarily do anything but stumble into <laughs> the hospitality industry. Absolutely. Right? It's not something that you grow up and say, I want to manage restaurants or um, so it happens. But you had a, a passion at an early age in the D.C. area mm-hmm. um, uh, for restaurants, right? Yeah, that, I, I grew up in restaurants and I grew up having, you know, being exposed to, you know, a, a higher level of dining than most children are. And so it's so just how often of, did you go out? Um, I was probably eating out like at a nice restaurant, like nice in quotes, like nice for a kid, right? Um, probably... On average, maybe two to three times a week. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. I yeah. felt like I went out a lot, but I don't think we went out that much. Mm-hmm. So what did your parents do that caused you to go out so often? Well, and I, I don't mean just economically, but just that allowed, you know, that was you were able to get out three or four, two or three <laughs> nights a week. It was not so much what they did. It was, you know, who they knew. So um, my mom's friends were all in the restaurant industry. Um there was a couple blocks in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia, that was kind of packed with restaurants. And um, my mom knew a lot of people that were involved in them. And you might, know, one that we went to the most right across the street, my my uncle managed that one. So um, those like first three blocks of King Street from the Potomac River up to Market Square, I sort of like ran as a kid. I was always just sort of running around like my mom would be hanging out with her friends and I would just sort of be running around the streets and you know, I mean you couldn't do that this when you day say as a kid how old I'd say like you know between like seven and ten I would just run, like on one block where this one restaurant that I used to go to all the time the warehouse bar and grill um there was a children's store at the end of the corner that my mom's friend owned and it ended up being my first job so I would just be like Mom, I don't want to sit here with you and your friends. I'm going to go down to the toy store. So it's not like I was just running, roaming free in the streets. It's like well, I, the yeah, kids' no, store I was like my built-in babysitter. You, you were going into all the restaurants <laughs> no. and sitting down and, and ordering whatever a seven-year-old would order. Shirley Temple. Yeah. yeah. Oh, on, the, on the rocks. The, I, I remember, yeah, lots of Shirley Temples and thinking <laughs> I was... Well, int- very interesting that you mentioned that because I've actually never thought about this, but that was training for training for drinking so you know my dad was a big pretty big drinker so much so that i became one that wasn't a big drinker but yeah shirley temples were little training drinks Mm -hmm. i would imagine so um but you must have ordered a few of those when you were out with your parents to nice restaurants oh absolutely and then you know i graduated to diet coke and when i was at my mom's friend's restaurants i would ask for a a tall diet coke on the rocks just to on the (laughs) right So, with the words on the rocks, so um, it sounded to me like you also were um, finding it out. You were drinking it uh, generally early before you were of age, so to speak, because we were too, man. We started in high school, junior high school Mm -hmm. and high school, two different levels of types of drinking. But so, 
you were imbibing, you were run, running in that crowd. You weren't, you... you, you yeah, I mean, we, you just like, uh, at least most high school kids that I talk to, I talk to some of my friends now, and they're like, yeah, you, you sound like you got in a lot of trouble when you were a kid. I was like, well, no, I never got caught, so it technically wasn't there trouble. There you go. But, but in, some, in some cities, it was easier to get away with. Absolutely. Right, because I know where I grew up, which is a suburb of New York, you're a suburb of D.C., there were parties at our parents' houses all the time. We had access to bars. Oh, absolutely. There are bars. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, it was kind of hard to get in trouble except on the road, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, those kind of things happen. The only reason I'm asking is because when I read what you sent me in terms of your childhood, I said, oh, okay, well, we probably would have been hanging out doing oh, the same types yeah. of things. You'd have those. been at the parties I was throwing in my house probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you, and vice versa. So, um yeah, I was a much bigger partier then than I ever have been as an adult. I, I don't enjoy it as much now. I like it, uh, certain opportunities, but I'm not looking for the next, the next big, you know, keg party. Yeah, I look like back that. at those days and I'm like, God, how did we survive? How did we not like die in a field somewhere of alcohol? Poisoning? I say that all the time. How did I? How, just so many, and and also. I grew up way before you, but I grew up in the day when um, any marijuana infraction, mm-hmm. if we crossed the line into New York State, was a 25-year mandatory sentence. Yeah. 25-year mandatory sentence. My, how things have changed. Yeah. So uh, it's crazy to think about that things that were so illegal then are now, mm-hmm. it's not fair. It's almost not fair in society. That but I those, guess it was more fun when it was illegal, right? Because you're like, ooh, I'm doing something bad. You know, just well, like drinking too much underage, it's like, ooh, I'm being Yeah, bad. at that age, though, and I don't know about your age, but You're at my age, dumb. I don't want to. I, I was really happy the first time, just beside myself, the first time I was driving in Washington State six or so years ago, and I may have had a joint with me, and there was a cop behind me, and it was the first time I realized, oh, my God, I don't have to sweat this <laughs> out. Um, and, you know, why is he behind me? Mm. So, um, anyway, yeah. There's certain things that are uh, that were more fun then that that might not. But at any rate, you found your. I think you found yourself in a really fun life uh, managing Quintrell, mm-hmm. and now Abbey Road Farm. Does it get any better than that in in Portland? And also to be able to be in Portland and not always be in Portland to get mm-hmm. outside to where a lot of things are grown and what makes Portland special is the Willamette Valley. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a dream come true. I mean, I've always, like I said, I've always enjoyed good food and wine. And then, um, you know, opening Quaintrell was, like, frightening and scary, but it's been very rewarding. And then my my business partners at Quaintrell had this opportunity to purchase this property out in wine country that was a grass seed farm and a bed and breakfast that was on prime prime Willikensee soil that needed to be grapes. So um, when they asked me to help take over this project and kind of run with it, and I was like, absolutely, of course. And I love learning new things and experiencing new things and just adding to my experiences. So I couldn't couldn't say no to that. Just like when I sort of got asked to be a brewmaster when I was like 20 years old, 21 years old, it was like, I'm never going to have this opportunity again to have someone just train me to do this and take over this position. So so you didn't have to fake anything so you made it. You were just going to, it was, let's train you and mm-hmm. do this properly. So, because um, 21, you don't know much. 
yeah, the old brewmaster was leaving and I was giving the owner a hard time. I'm like, you need to find someone faster. Like, it takes a long time to train them. This is your beer. Like, why haven't you found someone yet? I'm literally just like finger wagging at him, telling him he needs to hire a brewmaster. He's like, you want to do it? I was like, uh, yeah, actually. He's like, go set up a training schedule. I'm like, seriously? Like, that's it? I'm a brewmaster now? He's like, yep. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'm brewing beer now. And I went in back and... So you were called yeah. the brewmaster before you were actually brewing, yeah. before you learned a thing? <laughs> so, I mean, the word master to me means something, yeah. so you had to get there. But how long did it take you to feel comfortable with it and really know what you were doing? Oh, God. Um, I figure my training was a little um, fast, so I never felt like I really truly got like the level of training that I wanted. And I'm, I'm kind of, when it comes to that stuff, I... I never feel like I always feel like I have imposter syndrome where like I I'm not good enough to be in the room or I'm I don't know enough or even though I have like all this experience and all these different things I always just feel like um I'm never uh, I don't even know how to describe it but it's I always feel like I could be doing better at something and so well, that's what drives you though yeah and i always felt that that i only did the brewing for a year because i got in a car accident and my back was all messed up and the place that i worked at um they didn't exactly have the tools that would make it easier on someone's body like it was very like some places have like a grain elevator or a they store the grain above and have like a gravity fed system we had a ladder in five gallon buckets so i'm doing like four or five hundred pounds worth of grain in like digging it from one trash can into a five gallon bucket and then dump like going up a ladder and dumping it into the grain mill and that was a little hard on my back after there's you know. it's not gonna be easy on anybody even <laughs> no. if you didn't have a car accident yeah and five two female not that that should make any difference but in a system like that it was it was a little harder on me so um i made the choice to go back to school and get out of brewing and I, I waited till there was like the right person on the staff that there was a, a cook that was there that was a huge homebrew nerd and was obsessed with brewing and he ended up becoming my assistant and helping with some of the, the heavy lifting and then I realized like okay this is this person needs to be the next brewer so once I felt comfortable passing the torch I told the owner I'm like I want to train this guy I need to get out of here he's like all right cool thanks so it was fun it was great at the I mean, I was 21 and skinny then, and so I was like, um, I went to the brew fest, and I had to take my lanyard that said brewer, like, off of my neck, because there were all these, like, just stupid drunk boys being like, dude, you're a brewer? I got proposed to twice. Just because moment. you were, <laughs> yeah. just because of that? Yeah, like, no, I'm not going to, like, cook your dinner, wash your clothes, and brew your beer. Sorry, that's not how that works, but uh, it was it was interesting. So, um, and then where'd you go to school? From there? Um, well, I ended up finishing up at Portland State. I started at the College of Charleston before I moved out here. And then and what I drove you there. out here? Not to ask too many questions in rapid-fire succession, but <laughs> what drove you out here? My boyfriend at the time wanted to move to Portland, and I was like, okay. Were you cooking and, and <laughs> brewing beer for him? No. <laughs> no. He was really excited when he found out I was going to become a brewmaster. And that's, I was like, nope. Like, the last thing I'm going to want to do is come home and, like, homebrew after spending a 12-hour day brewing beer. Mm -hmm. No. Come to the brew pub and drink so how long there. So how long ago did you come to Portland? 97? Late oh, that's 97? that's a while ago. Yeah. figure yeah. I've earned my, my Oregonian status. Yeah. I always feel that the people who moved here, who chose to be here, 
get Oregonian status after they're here for a while and they love it because they work to be here. They mm-hmm. decided decided to be here rather exactly. than just, this isn't never to put anybody down who grows up here, but there are those of us who appreciate it enough to want to be here mm-hmm. to make the effort. So, um, and what was your, when you came to Portland, what was, your, what, it was for school. No, it was literally, let's just sell everything we have, pack up the little like, 1980-something Volvo 240 DL and go oh, still, live in Portland. That would still work well in Portland. Yeah. <laughs> that thing got up to 250. No, we, actually, we hit 300,000 miles on that thing. Wow. But before, we had to put her down, so to speak. Right. So, and then did, your relationship with Sandy, who is the, own, the your partner in Quaintrell, mm-hmm. and also Abbey Road Farm, mm-hmm. um, You've known each other for a long time. Did that start in Portland? Did that relationship yes. start in Portland? Mm-hmm. So you met each other here because she, they came from Connecticut. Well, Sandy grew up here, so she went to Park Rose. Her, her husband grew up in yeah. Connecticut. So Daniel grew up in Connecticut, and right. he came out here. He was he was bartending at Chopsticks, and Sandy was a little karaoke queen, and they fell in love, and that's all she wrote. And uh, so they moved. I was working at a place in Lake Oswego. I was waiting tables. And um, where was it? Where was that? A little place called Walter Middies. I seem to remember that name. I used to live there. So, mm-hmm. but is it downtown on A Avenue? No, it's um, it's in Mountain Park. It's right across the street from PCC Silvania. Oh, there you go. Is it still around? Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. well, there you go. Yeah. Now it's not too far from where I am in Portland. Yeah. So. Well, um, they used to come in there and like I knew them as as customers, but then when we would get off work, we would roll down to the old barn on Barber, which they would hang out at. And we ended up becoming friends just from like hanging out after work. And we just sort of clicked and just we all became really good friends. And so you had restaurant dreams. Restaurant right? dreams. You formed yes. some restaurant <laughs> dreams there. Yeah, Sandy and I, we wanted. She had been in the hospitality industry before. She had um, been in the hotel business for for ages. And then when we were talking, like I said, I always wanted to, like I wanted to purchase a restaurant. I didn't, I'm not a chef. I don't have, didn't have like a culinary vision or anything like that, but I always wanted to get back into the restaurant industry. So I figured a good way would be to purchase a restaurant that has like, you can look at the P&Ls and see that, okay, this place has some room to grow and see where I could use my, you know, my business degree to help bring a restaurant to where it needs to be. And um, we kept looking for places. We put a couple offers on a few places. Nothing ever worked out. Like there was always something amiss that it was like, okay, this doesn't feel right. And um, we're all about kismet, like things that have fallen into our laps just sort of just happen and they're kind of happy accidents. And so we sort of like put a pause on that because we weren't really finding anything um, I got married. My husband and I opened Mac Mac and Cheesery on Mississippi, and um, that was going fine. Except the space was too big, and like the the restaurant was doing fine. Like our bills were paid, my employees were getting paid. It just wasn't paying me enough, really, to make it worth it. And there were two of you too, so there was a yeah, you know, it was you and your husband. Mm-hmm. You had to make enough to support that right too as well. And how was that working with your with your spouse um well he's no longer my spouse yeah. <laughs> that's how well that worked but uh you know. is that um, not that it's any of my business but was that the reason with, did, no, because no, no, you were no. working together and it just didn't 
No, I had to fire him a few times. <laughs> okay. Um, he was not but, a restaurant hospitality person, so I kind of got to the point where I'm like, I think you're better doing this type of work you like to do, and let me focus on this because you're just that doesn't make up. it. That doesn't make it easy in a relationship. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, great guy. Wish him all the best, but we just weren't the right people for each other. And well, I don't think the restaurant helped. That. I think that maybe magnified some right. of our problems, but. Um, it is what it is, and we're both. I would think happy that would healthy, be very so. hard to. The restaurant business is hard enough as mm-hmm. it is, so to to mix that in with a marriage, when the, you can take some of that home with you, is probably very difficult. Right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. So let's take a little break here, and I want to get back and talk about Quintrell. Okay, sounds good. All right, Chris. Let's just pause a moment here, talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. You know, I just had the good fortune to be on the snake river with chef jonathan gill from ringside and uh boy that was fantastic and he served up a little bit of wagyu and some culottes and some incredible corn that's available on their menu as a side dish so that was a lot of fun you can go to uh i think portland food adventures uh, Instagram and check out a couple of the images from there. But I will say the couple of nights before we went, my friend and I went to ringside and um, I wanted him to enjoy the best steak he's ever had. Um, and we asked Chef Jonathan to suggest which one of the three options for Wagyu steak we should have. And there's a um, A4 olive-fed um, Wagyu available on their menu. It's, it's a premium price, of course, but it's worth it because it may just be the best steak you've ever had. And, and as I said, Jonathan served some Wagyu on the river, and we had quite a few people who were regular customers of Ringside who said that was, that was the best steak they've ever had. So that's my suggestion. Um, treat yourself to one of the three options on the menu for Wagyu at, at Ringside. Yeah, definitely one of the reasons why Ringside Steakhouse is Portland's Steakhouse for over 78 years. And we should mention, you know, they've gone through some different changes over the past couple of years uh, because of the pandemic, but now open seven days a week back to the way it was. And you can get the uh, full list of uh, hours and schedule your next reservation on their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. And, you know, we, we should be honest, Chris, in the waning days of summer, take advantage of that patio dining out there under the tent. I think we should be emphatic as, in addition to honest. And yes, get out there and enjoy that uh, the outdoor air at ringside because uh, it's still open. You can check on their website or call when you make a reservation to see if they have tables still outside. And of course, they're serving in the bar as well. So that's a great option. Lots of options at ringside. And of course, they've gone out of their way to make sure everything is healthy and uh, air is circulating and uh, ringside a great choice very nice so as i mentioned reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com or just make it through the open table app all right so um Quintrell, that you talk about kismet and things happening mm-hmm. so you had tried for a number of years um on a few offers what was it about the space the concept Talk a little bit about how Quintrell came together because it is a really beautiful 
I think in a town where it's very hard to be different and unique, you can you can wrap your you can you can define Quintrell in a very special, interesting way. I'll let you do that, but mm-hmm. I can when I'm recommending it. I can I can know that someone's going to have a nice experience. Oh, that's nice. That's so, nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, no, I've always felt that way. But talk about how the idea came together, the name, the space chef and you've changed chefs mm-hmm. um talk a little bit about quaint trial for those the uninitiated right. speak to the uninitiated <laughs> well uh when the mac and cheese restaurant was coming when the lease was coming up it was either i moved that to a, a space that fit the concept or change the concepts to fit the space so i'm looking up real estate for places that i could potentially move it to at the same time i put an ad out for um, a chef, and I've made it very vague. It was said, um, looking for a chef to execute their vision on our dime. And I got so many responses. I mean, I had people that were working for Michelin star chefs in New York, and then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, we're not ready for that yet. But um, I went through all these resumes, and like one stood out as someone who had like kind of long history at each job and at some really great places, and it seemed like he just needed. a a platform to express himself and that was um bill wallander um and he was great like we start we i we met with him and he cooked for us and everything was wonderful and beautiful you could tell he had a lot of like fire and passion and so i decided to not move forward with moving mac and open a my, my big girl restaurant now moving up for mac and cheese and, you know, I was talking to Sandy and she's like, this is it. Let's do this. This is what we were supposed to do together. I was like, okay. And Sandy also owns a sports bar in like Oswego and it's just her. Her husband has nothing to do with it. And um, her husband, Daniel, is super into great food and great wine. Like that's his jam. And so he's like, wait a minute. You wouldn't let me be a part of the bar. I want to be a part of Quaintrell. It wasn't Quaintrell yet. It was the restaurant to be named. And so I'm like, I'm fine with that if you guys all want to if we wanted to make this partnership and I was very nervous about it cause they are my very best friends, but. And they're yeah. a married couple too. Yeah. So you're in the, you're a, yeah, a Troika mm-hmm. and you never know what's going to happen. See the one thing that made it like make me, made me feel really okay about it was that, you know, they'll get in their little like marriage bickery fights. And sometimes I'm the one that oh, has sure to be like, to Sandy, that. you're wrong or <laughs> Daniel, you're wrong. But I've, there's never been a time where I've, they've, disagreed with me on something i'm usually their tiebreaker so right, the fact but that you're, but but still you're in the there's the mm-hmm. unknown factor of exactly. what can happen i mean a divorce could happen i'm not talking right. personally but you just mentioned yourself in mm-hmm. your own business a divorce could happen and then you're a partner with two people going through that right did that ever concern you no that i mean that, that aspect never crossed my mind because they're 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 pretty solid so um but i mean you never know no. But, um, and I want them, if I'm sure if San, <laughs> Sandy and Daniel are listening, I don't mean anything personal. I'm just, you know, I've been divorced and I know a lot of people who have. So um, I'm just talking about from a business standpoint, yeah. how, that, how that could play out. And it's yeah. wonderful that it's, it's worked out mm-hmm. and that it's been strength mm-hmm. for all of you. And I know if they ever both disagree with me on something, then I'm probably wrong and I need to reevaluate my stance on something. So um, we just make a really good team and worked out really well with Abbey Road Farm, too, because there was a lot of 
big decisions that had to be made and a lot of stressful decisions that had to be made. And sometimes I had to be like, Daniel, no, we shouldn't spend money on this. We should focus on that. And sometimes Sandy would be like, I don't understand why we need to spend money on this. Like, I want to focus on that, but there'd be really important things. So I'd have to kind of sell her on certain things and tell Daniel to like pull back on certain things. And so it, it was a good, like, I'm kind of like the equalizer with them where I, I kind of bring them both to the middle because they're, they're very, they're very different personalities too. Mm-hmm. And um, that comes through in our, our decision-making and in business actions and whatnot. So uh, yeah, I'm sort of, I lay right in the middle between them, the, the two of them. So it, it just works out. And also, you know, to back up on what I was saying before, when you have three, it's easier to make decisions when you have two, mm-hmm. two versus one on a, on, on an important decision then is that how you generally would decide something if if one of you couldn't just dis- convince the other two or uh, does it come down to sometimes have you ever had where there's one dissenting very dissenting voice and the other two go well sorry we don't think that we haven't really had that i mean we're all, we're all pretty reasonable people and we know each other so well that i think when there's two people that are like hey we really feel strongly about this the third it will generally come around and be uh, like, oh, okay. There's never been like a big like, fight about something. No, and I didn't mean yeah. to fight, but that's what that's kind of what I meant that the the two can bring the one mm-hmm. in, um, and so that's great. It seems to have worked very well so far because you know you're kind of yeah, Quintrell isn't hasn't been there for very long, right? Through how many years? Three now? years. Three. I was mm-hmm. going to say three or four. Usually, I add two to whatever mm-hmm. I think. Um, and it's worked very well, and you've added this wonderful venture, Abbey Road Farm, which I think is one of the easiest names to remember yeah. for me, my my generation, I suppose. The property uh, came with it, so that was easy for us. We didn't have to come up with a name for that one. Coin Trail is a little harder. But. Did it come with um, uh, any a trademark? No. Mm-mm. So it's okay, it's all okay. Like the mm-hmm. Beatles can't because of the farm component. Okay. And we're literally on Abbey Road. I guess <laughs> Carlton, I, so. I guess that, that helps. We're across uh, the street from a Trappist Abbey, so. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. So talk um so you were talking about Quintrell for the uninitiated. Oh yes. Let's talk about uh and I'm sorry I got us off track, but that's the way things go in a conversation. Um what is what is it that makes and so now Riley is your chef, mm-hmm. Riley Eckersley, and people can listen to that podcast if they um, search right at the fork, Eckersley, or mm-hmm. Riley, R-Y-L-E-Y, um, they'll find it. And he's a great guy. He's really interesting. He I is, think. yeah. And he has a very um, diverse background, like where he's lived in a lot of different places. Like he grew up in, born in London. Spent time in North Carolina. He's been all over the place, and that really um, has influenced his cooking. So we're still very ingredient-driven, using the best of the local ingredients that we have around here. But he has this this flair and this creativity that he does with with the local ingredients that um, we we kind of we refer to his cuisine as rebellious, and it's because it's it's really playful. It he likes to have a good time and play with everything that he's putting out. So they're fun takes on on different things, like um, our Dungeness congee that we've had. It was really good. Lobster fried rice. Like he he does these inventive t- new twists on 
traditional dis- uh, dishes that just sort of bring his flair and his attitude and his experiences. And he's really good with vegetables, too. He is. So when people are asking for a kind of a vegetable forward, maybe even seafood forward experience, but especially vegetable, I Cointrell comes to the top mm. of mind for me. Am I right or am I wrong on that? Absolutely. And that that made the transition. See, it was really important when um, when Bill was leaving, it was really important to find someone that was going to carry on our our ethos that was very ingredient and vegetable driven, showing off what the Pacific Northwest has, the best of the Pacific Northwest. And so that made it a really easy transition to have Riley, who has that same passion for, for the farmers and everything that's grown within 50 miles from here. But he also brings... And um, he's really great with seafood as well. And so our, our menu has gone a little more seafood heavy than before when it was um, the proteins were more you know, poultry and, and meat and pork and whatnot, which we still have all of that. But his, uh, his seafood game is strong and I'm really enjoying that. And the space itself is, it's, it's, it's easy for me to think of it because it's over on Mississippi. So it's outside of the... A lot of north, northeast, southeast spots and downtown, it's got its own vibe, and it's and it's very different. And you know, when you're talking about showcasing the best of the Northwest, oh my God, there are hundreds of restaurants mm-hmm. that do that in Portland. We all know that, but somehow Quaintrell put it together in a special way, I think. And um, and I think you probably, I've only been out to Abbey Road Farm to eat once. I want to. I it looks just wonderful. It's fantastic. But there's something about what you're doing that has uh, that really brings the Northwest thing home in a special way. And I really think it has to do with the passion of our staff. Like Riley's food and menu is great, and yes, we're using the best ingredients possible. But um, Camille Cavan's bar program has been getting a lot of attention as well, and um, her cocktails are just so beautiful in their they're perfectly balanced and they're very food friendly. And we do a lot of farm to bar cocktails as well, where she's actively working with Riley, like what's coming in, what do we have coming down the pike? So she knows what kind of um, syrup she might be making or garnishes she might be having. And um, her the, the ethos behind the bar matches what's going on in the food program as well as the wine program. And um, Chris Cooper is our, our wine director, and he has a very well-curated list. We don't have the biggest list. Actually, Wine Spectator called us one of the um, small but mighty wine lists in the country, which was a wow. big honor. Yeah, And it's just it's very well-curated, and it matches the food and our ethos, where we like to focus on smaller producers. And, and everyone is so passionate about their area, and it just really shines through when on the menu and the experience and... Um, we're really, really blessed to have the staff that we do. Like the the bar program and the wine program and the food program all just work so well together, and they're it, it's very cohesive. And the definition of Quaintrell, it's a woman who exudes a life of passion expressed through personal style, leisurely pastimes, charm, and a cultivation of life's pleasures. I feel like every component really expresses that. So, I mean, a Quaintrell is someone who's just like fun and wild, but composed and, 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 and sexy and fun, but not too wild. Like just this, a lady with a fun streak, you know? And I feel like every plate that comes out there, it's, it's pretty to look at, 
and enjoyable to eat and a little bit intellectual and a little bit fun. And every component has some quaintrailness to it. And I think that's kind of what makes quaintrail what it is, is that it all it all comes together like that. And and even our staff, like our floor staff, the front of the house and the back of the house, everyone's super passionate about what they're doing. Like they care. They give a shit. And it comes through in the in the ultimate guest experience. So, you know, it's it's not just the food, it's the it's the whole package, as we know. Like service can ruin a, a really great meal. So it's really important for us to sort of have this kind of almost white cloth tablecloth service without the white tablecloth mm-hmm. and just make our guests feel really important and special and also educate them on what we're doing. It's like everything in between Queen Trail and Abbey Road Farm. It's like Abbey Road Farm, we're farming organically. We have a, a very close tie to the land and we want to make it better. We want to put more into it than we're getting out of it. And we feel like that's what our farmers do that we source from at, at Queen Trail and the winemakers that we have on our wine list. And um, it all comes down to passion. It comes through from the farmer I remember when we first started, I came down from my office and I'm like, Bill, why are we spending this much on cauliflower? Like, this is crazy. And the magical cauliflower fairy comes walking through the back door, literally this like flat of cauliflower. He rips off a floret, hands it to me and says, eat it. And I'm like, but you haven't done anything to it yet. Eat it. I take one bite and I was like, that's the best damn bite of cauliflower I've ever had. And it hasn't, nothing's been done to it yet. Mm -hmm. And I turned around and I took my invoice upstairs and I paid it. And I never questioned the price per pound for produce ever again, because it's, it matters. Like the quality of what, of your raw ingredients matters. Like you can have the best chef in the world, but if what you're getting out of the ground is crap, then it's not going to come across right on the plate. So it's what makes everything a little more competitive in Portland mm-hmm. because a lot of people, well, there are a lot of uh, the same sources for a lot of restaurants. So, and that's uh, an art as well as sourcing at mm-hmm. from the right spots for the right things. So, wow, I set you off on the uh, description of Quintrell and you somehow knew exactly where to go with that. It was, be- <laughs> it was a, be- it was a beautiful little journey into um, what it's all about. Can you do the same for Abbey Road Farm? Yeah, yeah, sort of. <laughs> is, it, is it farms? or No, it's farm. It's, it's I farm. said it properly. Yeah. So, um, how do I even begin with Abbey Road Farm? It's been such a, I hate the word journey. I feel like it's so overused these days, but it really has been quite the, uh, the adventure. Um, this opportunity sort of fell in Sandy and Daniel's lap. Like they were, you know, Sandy had always wanted a bed and breakfast. That was kind of one of her, her, her dreams was to eventually have a bed and breakfast. And we were talking to a friend who was a realtor and they just happened to be talking to someone else in their office about this property in Carlton that they had uh, the listing for and it had a B and B on it and lots of acreage. And it was a grass seed farm, 82 acre farm with a bed and breakfast on it. And I was kind of like, well, let's go take a look. You know, who knows? Like it doesn't hurt to look. And as kind of their, you know, good friend and trusted advisor, they asked me to come with them to check it out. And we all fell in love with the property as soon as we stepped out of the car. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful property. The views are amazing. It, you know, it's right across from the Guadalupe Vineyard, which is one that uh, Ken Wright sources from. And then next door to them is um, the Trappist Abbey. And the land behind it is all in a land conservancy trust. So our view can't change for at least, you know, our lifetimes and uh, it's 82 acres there 
there were goats and chickens and sheep and a llama and an alpaca and we're like this is so cool and this uh they had this big horse arena it used to be a horse a horse boarding facility and then uh we were looking at it and we're like this needs to be a winery and an event center and uh we walked away from there like we were literally maybe not even a quarter of a mile off the property when we just started talking about everything that we wanted to do about it like no offer was placed on anything and um we ended up putting an offer on the property and um that was in like the summer of 2017 and during the closing process i came on board and i was staying out there a few nights a week um to help with the transition process like learning the bed and breakfast operations and so um i was running a restaurant and overseeing like learning a new business as well and um when things got going we started working with an architect to start building the winery basically we took that horse arena and took it down to its studs and rebuilt it into a winery and we called our our flexible space it's kind of an event center plus it spills over for production when we need it and um, we sort of zhuzhed up the b&b a little bit and uh, brought in some our, our, the previous innkeeper had to leave for uh, some family reasons and we ended up um, bringing on Eric Bartle and Sarah Candelius, the wilderness hunter and wilderness huntress on Instagram and they are super passionate again like passion is an ongoing thing with everything we do here um, he's a forager farmer she's she forages with him she's a baker um, he was kind of raised under Greg Higgins and I say with confidence that we have the best breakfast in Oregon, and you can only have it if you're staying at the bed and breakfast. Well, that's a that's a bold statement. It's a bold you statement. Just, you just caused my head to jerk yeah. back, like uh, when you said that. Yeah, she's really going to say that. I'm wow. really going to say that. Wow. Well, it t- well it takes a bold statement like that to drive people to go yeah. that far for breakfast. Although in the time that they could spend standing, I'm going to say this, standing online waiting for breakfast on a Sunday at some of the more popular places, they could just drive out there and have a nice drive and probably get right in, I would imagine. Well, you can only have breakfast if if you're you're staying staying there. Okay. There you go. So, uh, but that's reason to stay there. Yeah. For one uh, reason. Yeah. And we have a, we have raised beds that Eric and Sarah take care of. So when you're anything that's a vegetable that's on your plate usually came from the garden the everything is made with our duck eggs or chicken eggs and our duck eggs um so it's it, he does his own bacon he does this smork, smoked porchetta like breakfast porchetta that's ridiculous off the charts and he's just he's taken his passion for cooking and has really developed this amazing breakfast program using everything he can from the farm and then we supplement as needed and it, that sort of fo- follows the same ethos that we have at Quain Trail, where we try to be as, as farm to table as possible, where you're literally, it's like the garden is steps away from the kitchen. So it's, you, you can walk through the garden and pass what you're about to eat on how, the way. How many guests do you accommodate? We have five rooms, so up to 10 guests. Oh, nice. And, and, and so both businesses, how are they going? Quain Trail is a little more mature than mm-hmm. Abbey Road Farm, but I know in the beginning... We had spoken quite a bit, and you know it takes a it takes a little while to draw people out and start getting reviews. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that um, things are would be a little more consistent now. Yeah, than things they were are a few definitely years ago. picking up at Queen Trail. Um, I think uh, the the best compliment, but the most heartbreaking compliment I used to always get was, "You're the best kept secret in Portland." I'm like, 
thank you, but I don't want to be a secret anymore because I've got bills to pay. Right. So, um, but the, the secret's definitely getting out. You can see a definitely consistent uptick in our our guests and our tasting menu is selling like crazy. Like most people are like about fifty percent of our guests are opting for the tasting menu, which is great. So they can kind of get a a little touch of of everything that Riley's doing and it's been yeah the the upward swing is definitely you know year three has been good for us I don't necessarily think uh, I'm thinking of lists but just in conversation and what I see exchanges on Facebook when people are asking for suggestions that the, what I said before was based on that I'm seeing more and more quintrails in those conversations mm-hmm. it's it's mentioned when people are asking for great new experiences so and that makes um, my heart sing. So that makes me very happy. And and I've seen that sometimes too. Like I I follow you know Eater PDX, and I see people mentioning us as recommendations. And it it it's nice to see that people are finally figuring out that we're here and that we have a good program. And again, it's very hard, especially. And we just talked about this on recent podcasts. In year two, three, four, you're no longer on the new lists. Mm-hmm. You're no longer you know news. Um, per se, you have to create things. You have to create dinners. You have to um, sometimes make a chef change to to get some press. Um, so it's harder to it do that. Hard. Do you source any of the uh, some of the produce? Is that coming from Abbey Road Farm? Or are you uh, not yet? So we we do have these smaller raised beds. It's just not enough to support what the restaurant needs. But we are eventually going to have a large produce component at Abbey Road Farm. Um, we are waiting for our water rights. That's a thing. You got to ask Oregon for permission to use water on your property. Um, How long does that take? Oh, my God. Four million years, I swear. But uh, I'm not really sure. I actually need to follow up with my water you rights. You don't consultant. know the answer yet. You don't, <laughs> yeah, have, yeah, it's you like don't it's, have an end. It's hurry up and wait. And then once we get our water rights, we have to build another pond to hold water. Um for our irrigation and then we want to like we don't want to become the farmers we want to invite a farmer to come use our land um for trade mm-hmm. and then you know sell to whoever your other customers are and it, it's hard to be you you don't go into produce farming to get rich it's and it's really difficult so we kind of want to pay that forward and in offer our land and trade for produce for Quaintrell as a opportunity to sort of ease some of that financial burden off of off of a farmer but we're not ready for that yet we have and to have a little this water off rate. of you too so you yeah. have less to be less uh risk there what's um so after owning Quint- Quintrell for a few years now what do you think are some of the most frustrating things about owning a restaurant in portland oh man well running <laughs> owning a restaurant is frustrating in general because one they're low margins and it's really hard to make it. And in a city like Portland, one of the best things about Portland is we were so spoiled with the abundance of amazing restaurants that we have access to. But as a restaurant owner, that also means more competition. And it's hard to, you know, like being the best kept secret, people keep telling us, oh, your food's so great. Or running into people, oh, I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Like people like that are really into great dining when they haven't heard of us yet. It's kind of like, oh, like, People, it's just, I guess, getting getting a seat at the table, really, at the, like, no pun intended. But still, you have to have a lot of passion because in order to 
be successful, you have to make some money, right? Mm-hmm. Not, it's not just about breaking even. And you got people who have to spend some income off of it, including all your staff. And then you, and it's, it's pretty tight. There have got to be a lot of times when you're thinking, okay, even if we turn, the, even if we keep this train running, it's hard to keep it running. And then do you mm-hmm. ever ask yourself, is it worth it over the long term? Because I think we're seeing some places now say, okay, I might be able to be doing okay, but I can't see doing this churn and mm-hmm. this um, this effort for 10 years. D- does that ever come up? I mean, you're in it. You, What are your alternatives? Oh, yeah. But um, Sure. When you have a January snowpocalypse where it's normally slow anyways and the whole city shuts down and everyone's afraid to leave their houses and it, it really has a huge impact on the restaurant industry and you know i th- think a lot of places like shuttered or have shuttered because of the fact that portland can't get their act together when it snows and that's like our our city letting us down if you mm-hmm. will like oh, well we, that we and the, the homeless problem i mm-hmm. mean there are a lot of Break-ins. I think you've been, I've seen you've been broken into. Have you not? We we have not been broken into. We have had someone come through our back door and steal someone's backpack. Oh, okay. That's but not. We haven't been broken into. That's not as yet. bad as I've seen. No. Oh, I thought I had. Oh, I'm wrong. Hmm. Never been wrong before. <laughs> Make note of that. So, um, uh, and what about the challenges out at the farm? What do you see as, do you, do you see, um, you know, is it going to be the Wizard of Oz with beautiful colors all over the place, or is it the black and white Wizard of Oz that you have to overcome and make color? You know what? Um, she's pretty colorful right now. We did go through our black and white moments. Um, we had a land use battle that mm-hmm. was really fun and expensive. Um, and you don't know these going into it. No, no. The you realtor think, oh, doesn't tell you you might have a land use battle. Oh, no, not at all. But... Um, it, it's been interesting. The, the learning curve for Abbey Road Farm has been very steep. Like, we have no idea what we're getting into. I mean, we none of us have made wine or run a bed and breakfast. I mean, Sandy's been in the hotel business before, but, like, we've never built anything like this, too. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, taking on this project. It was me becoming a construction project manager, a water rights expert, a land use expert, and um, and learning the, you know, the country politics are a lot different than Portland. I mean, dealing with the city of Portland in Multnomah County is, you know, I thought that was bad, but um, the battles that we, the uphill battles that we ended up conquering were, were not expected and were really challenging. It was emotional. You know, I know we all had these moments, like I know Sandy was like, is this even worth it? Like this battle is That's crazy. That's what I was just and, asking, the constant battle. Yeah. But then once we overcame, like once we won our land use battle and we were able to um, like really get the construction done, then we ended up with this beautiful space that is just like it. I don't get sick of it whenever I go out there. I'm, you know, when I'm out there every week and every day, it's just, it's beautiful. It's fun. We were putting smiles on people's faces. It gets, you, you can't not be happy when you're at Abbey Road Farm, whether you're getting married or just petting a goat or visiting the mini donkeys or having a glass of amazingly of, of amazing wine that's been, you know, crafted with the passion and intention. Um, it's just, it's, it's like Disney for adults, wine Disney. So it's just, it's a, the happiest place on earth for me. And then how's the uh, wholesale wine business, right? Selling, are you selling some of your product to Portland restaurants now? Is that, 
Not yet. Like we, we our tasting room opens um, Memorial Day. And so we've just been getting our feet wet and we did our first harvest. Well, we hit in 2018. We made no, yeah, 2018. We made wine on site for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so that's all getting bottled now. So we're going to have basically, we, we outsourced some, some juice for our first year for our weddings and whatnot. And so we're just about to start selling like, our wine that that James Ron our our oh, winemaker made. So we've just been sort of focusing on getting the tasting room operations open. We had our first year of weddings, which was tremendous, and we're almost for our our event space. We're almost booked out for 2020, and we're taking calls for 2021. That's so fantastic. that side of the business is yeah. Kristen Baxter, our event director, she's done an amazing job and. It's really great. I mean, the, the place kind of sells itself, but Kristen's definitely. I always marvel at all the events business there is out there, where it comes from, with all the event space in Portland, all restaurants doing events, and now this, you know, out there's, you know, there's a vast geography out there, mm-hmm. and a lot of businesses that have it. So I guess there, there will always be weddings, there will always be corporate events, mm-hmm. but they're, it's good to hear that they're mm-hmm. finding you. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it has been organic, right? Through social mm-hmm. media and um, you're not really buying. Are you buying advertising? Do you do that sort of thing? We don't do much paid advertising. We have put, put some stuff in some wine publications, but um, it's not a huge part of our of our marketing plan. So Sorry. what do you, I guess you're going to talk about, you would, you would answer Abbey Road Farm to this, but what are you most excited about over the next year? What's exciting you right now and keeping you going? You know, everything. Like, we're having this really great momentum at the restaurant, and Abbey Road Farm's really coming into its own. It's kind of one of those things that we've just been, like, what, who is she going to be? Like, we don't know yet. She's kind of growing into her own and um, getting our wine out. So we're going to have our Abbey Road Farm label, but also the the best of the barrels are going to be the Wilkins family label. Mm-hmm. And um, that's coming out in March. Our first wines are going to be available. And oh, that's, that's only really a month away. Or I know. When people hear this right about now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So um, the the tasting room is gaining momentum too. Um, we haven't done a lot of paid advertising for that. And people are finding out about us. And we have a really cool tasting room. It, it's, uh, it, it feels very homey and that's what we want. Like we feel like a lot of tasting rooms are kind of sterile, almost cafeteria like, and it's very like churn and burn, come taste your wines, join the wine club, buy a bottle in and out. And we want people to stay around. Like, so we, we actually, we are a, we have several different winemakers that work out of our, our collective winery. So um, James Ron, who makes our Abbey Road farm wines, he has his own label. Um, Luke Wild, he has, he's our associate winemaker and he has, two of his own labels and um, Chris Leberstedt of Stett Wines. Um, he works out of our space as well. So when you come into our tasting room, you have Abbey Road Farm wine. You will have Wilkins Family Wine coming up here soon. Um, James Ron Wine Company wine, um, Lairs and Statera wines from Luke and the Stett wines. So instead of having like, here are the five wines you're going to try today, you kind of... Um, you set your own pace, and so we do it by the taste, by the glass, or by the bottle. So we find some people will taste a few wines and be like, I like that one, and then they'll grab a bottle, and then they'll go sit outside in the Adirondack chairs and enjoy the view and go pet a goat and, and roam the property. And it's a place that people like to hang out and stay. So. That's what makes that 
wine tasting experience pretty cool in Oregon to mm-hmm. go out there. So when I ask this question, sometimes the guests are at a loss for words, but is there an Emily outside of, we've only talked about Cointrell mm-hmm. and we've talked about Abbey Road Farm. Is there an Emily that gets to not think about those things and what do you do in life to escape a little bit? Oh, let's see. Well, the last few years have been pretty all-consuming with work. <laughs> That's what I meant. But I do make time for myself. I mean, I, I like to get out of town every now and then. Like my, my mom lives down in Palm Desert, so I try to get down there at least once or twice a year, especially in this time of year where it's a little chilly and sometimes a little gray. Um, I I try to play golf. I'm really bad at it, but I enjoy do doing that. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, so I guess it's golf is my thirties. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Um, but I have fun with it. But I haven't been able to play in a long time because I broke my ankle. But that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, I just like to enjoy the food scene, and I like to eat good food and drink good wine and have a good time with my friends. And do you do you some know? traveling outside of the U.S. or? I haven't really had a lot of time. I mean, I went to Mexico for a wedding last year. I mean, I've. I've been to a few places. I've been fortunate enough to go to like Bora Bora and nice and in Canada. Ooh, but uh, definitely traveling is a huge priority. It, I want it to be a huge priority of mine. I haven't had a lot of time to do it, but I really want to explore more because I haven't been to Europe, and that's just crazy. Because there's a lot of great wine over there that I need to try. Yeah, over there. <laughs> and I would say there's yes, there's great wine, but. I suppose it's great to have that as be your catalyst for for those sorts of things. But there's a lot in Europe to explore that has yeah. nothing to do with wine, too. There's, exactly. The history there is incredible. Mm-hmm. So if you've never been there. Yeah, it's definitely, I need to, I need to explore more. Yeah, once but. you start, the cool thing about Europe is once you start, you want to go back. And then when you go, it's so easy to get from city to city. Mm-hmm. There are $50 flights to go. Then it's easy to start putting together these pretty cool itineraries. So yeah. We're still like... like said Abbey Road Farm is still sort of coming into its own and I still have a, a lot of work to catch up on and little projects that I need to finish. So once I kind of get my uh, my sea legs with Abbey Road Farm, then I'm going to try to make more time to go explore. Well, you're young. You got a, whole, you got a lot of life in front young. of you. <laughs> oh, you are. Stop. So um, Ab- it's uh, Quaintrell PDX or just Quaintrell and it's got an interesting .co, right? Why yes. is that? Because the .com was not available. Oh, so you went with .co. I almost think, wouldn't, you have been, wouldn't it have been easier to do QuaintrellPDX.com? Yes. Well, well, it was, it's a long story. Okay. <laughs> it's a very boring one. Too, so, so. <laughs> but the bottom line is people can find you at Quaintrell.co. Mm-hmm. And then Abbey Road Farm is? It's AbbeyRoadFarm.com. Wow, very nice. Yes. Very easy to do. We got do. the dot com. Or get out there. How long a drive is it from Portland? It's about 50 minutes from Portland. Okay, nice. Yeah. I've done it once. I actually volunteered mm-hmm. to do your company party out there and drive people from Quaintrell in a Hummer. <laughs> yes. Which was a very interesting experience. I'd never driven a, driven a Hummer and nobody gave me the finger on the way out. I was mm-hmm. surprised, but that was fun and thank you for asking me to go out there so we were in the tasting room and that was a beautiful dinner right was that the tasting room or no, no that, was, that was um a- so there used to be a restaurant on the property right and it was called agravino mm-hmm. and um chef dario is amazing he's uh he's from northern italy and well actually it wasn't technically a restaurant it was a 
wine pairing food events. Okay. That's because of the, 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 the right. <laughs> land use stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually, so he had to leave because he was, I mean, it, it was a restaurant. It was running as a restaurant and um, kind of got in trouble with the county. So he had to um, move off the property. But now he has Rose Marino in downtown Newburgh. And it's so great. It's like dinner and a show. It's like five courses. He comes out and gives you a story about. He's good. He's yeah. theatric. It, yeah. It's so good. Um, so if you're ever needing a place to eat in Newburgh. I highly recommend Rose Marino. And um, so that was one of the the last hurrahs for, for Dario. It was our company party there before he had to move. Nice. So. Well, thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Glad we invited, glad you came on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and it was great. I knew it would be a fun conversation. <laughs> and you and I have, we've met plenty of times. We really never had a chance to sit and chat. So it's one of the, Wonderful things about this podcast is we get the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it's been fun. So, yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. And um, we'll see you soon at one or both of your wonderful places. Wonderful. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right